seated. That was a just absolutely great worship. And uh, right now, as most of you know, our uh, Cactus Campus, our Northridge Campus, our chapel next door and our venue are going to join us live for our gathered time in the Word. And we have a little bit of a, a different day planned today. As was mentioned earlier, we capped off a series just last week, a five-week series on the fall. And today is, is kind of a one-off, at least that's what I call it. It's a special day that we've set aside to talk about some vision for our church, vision that the Bible gives us about who we are and kind of where we are as a church right now. And so that's why you were handed our Better Together brochure on your way in. I'll be referencing that a little bit later. That's kind of your guide today. There's no outline for today, but you'll follow along uh, rather easily. But let me just say before I pray, it's extremely exciting times at your church. You're going to hear today that God has caught us off guard in the last year in a good way with some things that we had not planned at all and just the the Lord moved and uh, we're trying to play catch up, which is always a good thing. Do you all understand that? When you're trying to play catch up to God, that's not a bad thing at all. My wife, you've heard this phrase before, my wife reminds me of it often that when man plans, God laughs, right? And so, you know, we plan all the time around here and I think the Lord just says, uh, just hang on for the ride. And uh, so hang on for the ride today. I'm going to share with you a little bit of where we are. We're going to have a deep biblical look at what this means to be better together. So let's bow and pray. Uh, Cactus and Venue Chapel in Northridge, why don't you bow with me and let's pray right now. God, uh, we've had some holy moments here already today as the gathered church. We've sung to you, we've prayed to you, we've fellowshiped a bit with each other, all Lord in preparation to now focus upon your word, to focus on your son Jesus, and to get ready for the week ahead. And Lord, many of us know that the local church truly is the hope of the world, that you've given your church your Holy Spirit, you've given each of us your Holy Spirit, and as we're going to see today, a very special set of spiritual realities if we dare to band together. And so, Father, I pray that as we talk about that today, that you might give us vision, lift our sights from our own lives to what we can collectively be as we trust you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, as far back as I can remember, I have lived in communities and cultural settings that were in some way, shape, or form divided and separated. I'm going to argue it's kind of, believe it or not, the fallen American, even the whole world, it's our way. For instance, in my hometown of Chagrin Falls, Ohio, when I was growing up, we had a white section, and then you guessed it, we had a black section. I'm not proud of that. It's a stain on my hometown, but that's the way things were. It was very divided and separated. And then when I got into junior high school, I realized that there were popular kids and there were not so popular kids. Again, it was divided. And then in high school, the lines became even more defined. We had jocks, we had geeks, and we had burnouts. You were one of the three. And then in college, I thought, finally, I get to put these shenanigans aside. And I realized in college, we had fraternities and sororities. In my college campus, there was only a 1,000 students, and yet they had managed to churn out seven different fraternities, four different sororities, and you were defined and known by the one that you associated with. 
Even when I went to seminary and I thought, here, it has to be over. No, there was a huge distinction between undergraduate students and graduate students. Even though we all ate in the same cafeteria and went to school on the same plot of land. In fact, this is a true story. They didn't laugh at this last night, but I thought it was funny. Within about a month of being at seminary, I found out that the undergraduate students had a nickname for the seminary students. They called us Semfems. Semfems. Oh, come on. I thought that was funny. You guys are too sensitive. In other words, they, they had to make fun of somebody that was not like them, quite frankly, a lot more intelligent than them. So... By the time that I was 25 years old and ready to go into church ministry, this made me laugh this week, according to all the environments that I have lived in, I was a white male, semi-popular, jock geek, Sigma Chi Sem Femme. <laughs> Divided and separated. It's the way of the world, at least in my experience. And yet here's what hit me this week. If I don't miss my guess, you could tell a similar story. My guess is that all of us have grown up in environments in which there have been some separation and division. My guess is you went to a school in which there were in people and there were out people. Even now, think about the, the, the metropolitan area that you live in. We have gated communities, country clubs, HOAs, civic groups, differing religions, public schools and private schools. Again, all in some way, shape or form dividing and separating us. It truly is the way that a fallen world goes and flows. Every culture known to humankind experiences this. We parcel out one group of people and put them over here, and then we parcel out another group of people and put them over there, dividing and separating. And then we come to the church. <laughs> we come to the church. Now, I'm going to be the first to admit to you guys today that the church at times has an awful history when it comes to our own dividing and separating. Amen? The church has done a bad job at times of keeping unity and being kind and loving to different kinds of groups. And I'll be the first to admit that. But for our purposes today, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about what God wants his church to be as outlined in his word in a world that is constantly about dividing and separating. And to kickstart our discussion, I want to share with you one of my favorite quotes from the late Billy Graham. Billy Graham always had a very pithy and straightforward way of putting things. And in talking about the church, he once said this. He said, churchgoers are like coals in a fire. When they cling together, they keep the flame aglow. And when they separate, they die out. Isn't that good? I, I like the way he always put things. More so, I love what he's getting at with his words here. Namely, that there is an imperative from God himself. We're going to see that today. In which we are to never simulate what we see in the culture around us. Know the opposite. You and I are to stick together like coals or, fire, or embers in a fire to stay so close that we derive collective heat from each other. And if we separate and divide, as so many Christians are known to do, now no longer do we have any collective heat and we'll begin to cool and eventually die out. I love this visual that Graham gives for the church, staying close together and realizing that as we do, 
There is spiritual heat generated for the kingdom of God. Or to put it in more straightforward, tell it like it is language. Here's your main point today. And it's easy to remember. You don't even need to write this down. And that is that Christians are always, and I mean always, better together. That's what I believe the Bible tells us. Christians are always better together. To show you this today, I want to show you five key things the Bible promises. Now watch this. When we band together. Five spiritual realities that are only ours when we realize and act that we are better together. Five things the scripture promises to you and me, but only if we remain unified and function as one. These are five things that you're going to see the Bible links to our unity and togetherness, without which we do not have these five realities in our lives. And I'll give them to you right up front here, and then we're going to walk through each one briefly. And they are purpose, power from the Holy Spirit, the actual presence of Jesus with us, answered prayer, and the ability to persevere. Anybody want these five things in your life? (laughs) Purpose, power, presence, prayer, and perseverance. I'm going to show you right now, and this will blow you away, all tied to our unity and togetherness. So first, let's look at purpose. Let's look at purpose. The simple fact that our purpose is ignited, the Bible tells us, by our unity. I want you to look how Jesus would put it to us in his famous high priestly prayer in John 17, when he is praying directly for you and for me. Look at John 17, verses 20 to 21. Jesus says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone. He's referring to the 11 disciples. So he just prayed for them, but he says, now I'm not gonna pray for them. I'm gonna pray for those who also believe in me through their word. So that's you and I. We've been handed down a faith in the word of God from the original disciples. And now Jesus is praying for us. Look at what he prays in verse 21, that they may all be one. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, I want you to notice a couple of key things that Jesus is laying out here. First, obviously his prayer is that we would be one, but did you notice how he describes our oneness here? (laughs) He describes it using the Trinity, the Father, the Son. He doesn't mention the Spirit here by implication in the language. He's saying that because he's saying, as I am in you, Father, and you are in me, I pray that that's the kind of unity that they would have. So let that just settle in for a minute, gang. (laughs) The Trinity, the eternal existence of God as one being in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so tight-knit that they could never be separated. That's the kind of unity God wants for you and me. That's a powerful prayer that Jesus has. And it's the only thing that he prays for you and I here in John 17, that we would stay together as one. Why? Because he knows we're better together as one. Uh, Look at the second thing he shares here. And that is that when we do this, we discover our purpose as a church, namely that we will be a witness to a world that is constantly dividing and separating. So the idea is, is that in a world in which you have, as I already established, gated communities, HOAs, private school, public school, all the different things that divide us, they're to look at us and say, whoa, you guys seem kind of different. 
like you are different, you know, you're all different kinds of people and you come from different places, but you gather together as one and you got each other's back and you really believe that you're somehow better together as a collective church. And then they're going to ask, what's gotten into you? And you say, the Holy Spirit, (laughs) Jesus, our faith. In other words, we're to stand out and be different because of our unity. And in that, we find our purpose, namely to be a witness to the world. You know, we're going to talk here in a few minutes about uh, a lot that's gone on in this last year here at our church. And obviously, one of the biggest things that has gone on is our merger with Northridge Community Church. Northridge is a large church in in North Scottsdale, or was. We merged with them in January, as most of us know. And, you know, when we first started talking to Northridge just about a year ago this month, a lot of the questions that, you know, we were asking ourselves was, why would we merge together? That would be an obvious question. I mean, we're not doing it for overflow space, but we're not doing it because we want to be expansive. We certainly weren't doing it because we had two churches that were hurting, And somehow needed to get collective strength because both churches were doing fine on their own. No, the answer we kept coming back to, now watch this, is that we sensed God was saying that as we come together, which is so rare that churches would do, that there could be a collective strength in our witness. Amen? We might be able to reach more people for Jesus Christ if we are together in North Scottsdale and then with Cactus together in North Phoenix. And then who knows where God is leading us. It just seems to make sense that as we come together, there's a collective strength. We find our purpose in being a witness to Jesus Christ. There's 319,000 Protestant churches in America right now. And the vast majority of them would never entertain a merger because it's messy and it's difficult and it's sacrificial, but there's beauty in it because we're better together and our purpose is highlighted in this dark world. Now, notice with me a second spiritual reality that God wants us to experience that is likewise tied to our unity and togetherness. And if that first one didn't grab you, and I can tell by the look some of you are giving me it didn't, but that's your problem. If that first one didn't grab you, then this second one, I promise you will, if you have a heartbeat and any tenderness to Jesus, and that, I set you up there, and that is power, power. In other words, God is gonna link his power in our church and in our lives to our unity and togetherness. Uh, To see this, I want you to look at how the uh, very first description of the very first Christian church came to be. This is right after Jesus ascended to heaven in Acts chapter one. And now there's about 120, 130 believers. That's it in Jerusalem, all kind of huddled together wondering what's next. Look at what happens. It says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them as, appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit." 
Now, this is a fascinating passage here, and I want you to just notice a couple of things that I need you to wrestle with that are really important. I put them in yellow. The first is that it says they were all together in one place. Now, we know that that is obviously a geographical description right there, right? They're together in one geographical place. The question I have for you is this. Could it also be referring to their spiritual and relational unity, that they were together as believers? And the answer, before you answer it to yourself, is yes. And the reason we know that is because later on in this chapter, in verse 44, when the church explodes, it says, using the same language, all those who believed were together. And at that time, there's 3,000 of them, so it didn't mean in one place. So this idea of togetherness in this entire chapter, yes, is geographical here in this first verse, but it's also referring to their spiritual unity. You need to see that. And notice the result of that. Two descriptions, a violent rushing wind and then tongues of fire. As Jim Cimbala would say, fresh wind and fresh fire from the Holy Spirit. Here's what you need to know about both those images. They are images of power, amen? I mean, a violent rushing wind. Ever been in the desert when there's a dust storm? That's a a violent thing. And tongues of fire flaming, that's a violent thing. It's power that's being described here. And then it mentions the Holy Spirit. And so what they're saying here is that when the church gathered originally and had unity, now don't miss this, the Holy Spirit descended and gave them power. And sure enough, one chapter later, at the end of this chapter, that same day, the church would go from about 120, 130 people to over 3,000 people believed. The first mega church is born in the very first church in the New Testament. And it all had to do with their unity and power. You know, the Old Testament would put it in even more simple language, but I love the images being talked about here in the book of Ecclesiastes. It kind of just lays it out philosophically for us. It says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. So it's a productivity image. Then it says, for if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion, but woe to the one who falls when there is not another to help lift him up. So it's just referring to falling and strength in life. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? So warmth comes through, through unity. And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. So you have a protection image. And then notice the wrap up. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. <laughs> so you got a nice rope illustration. Here's the point. God reserves a lot more power for his people when we band together and stay together. I'm gonna put it pointedly to you. Some of you wonder why you have no power in your spiritual life. I don't know the answer to that. It's probably complicated. But I do know this, that one of the things that will zap the power you have, that we have as a church, but that you also have individually, is when there is division and separation among us. Why are we better together? Because God says he does his best unleashing of his Holy Spirit power when we're together and unified. You know, I was reminded this morning that I've uh, been here in your your pastor going on now my 12th year. 
And, you know, when I think back to the early days of, of uh, when I became your pastor, and I don't talk about these very often, but you need, guys need to know the first five years here was, was rather rough. Some of you were here. I see Ed Grant and Archie Wright and Dale Galloway who are here today. Many of you were here in those early days. Frank, you were here. And, you know, they, they were rough. In fact, I know some of you didn't think I was going to make it. That's all right. I didn't think you were going to make it either. And, and they, were, <laughs> they, they, they were rough days. And part of what made them rough is that Scottsdale Bible Church over the years had gotten very siloed. We had lots of different competing agendas in the church. We had people saying, want to do this. Others saying, no, we're going to do this. And our staff was kind of messed up. And I, I had no idea what I was coming into. But, you know, I'm 43 years old. I'd never served a church outside of maybe 1,000 people. And here I am thrown into this thing. And the first five years were, were rather difficult for me. And the reason I keep saying that is because um, we were awfully disunified. At one point around the two-year mark, I brought a consultant in because I didn't know what else to do, and, and I just had him evaluate where our church is, and I'll never forget when he sat there in my office and he shared something that was so discouraging, and he didn't mean it to be discouraging, he just was being realistic with me. He, he said to me, Jamie, I, I can put it to you this way, he said, uh, you need to hope and pray that God doesn't give much growth to your church in the next year or two. And I said, why not? He said, because you guys aren't ready for it. I'd never served in a church ever in 20 years that was not growing. I don't say that as a badge of honor. It's just that the church should always be growing. That's biblical. You're reaching more people for Jesus and you're sending them out and it's an expansive type of thing. And that's what the church needs to be in a fallen world. And I remember sitting there in my office thinking, what have I gotten into? And it was at that point that I determined, this was almost 10 years ago, that we were going to find unity as a church. Amen. And so much of our Compelled by Grace vision, which was really the turning point for us about six, seven years ago, was all about finally getting us all on the same page uh, as to what the Bible says the church is to be. A grace-based, Bible-teaching, highly relational, focused on Jesus group of people. And when we declared that vision, some left, and I'm sad about that, I really am, but many, many more came to our church and it really became a turning point for us and it proved to me because we've seen hundreds of people saved, hundreds of baptisms. We did 300 baptisms in one year just a couple years ago and it proved to me that power is unleashed when you and I stop bickering about stupid small things and get on the same page as to what God wants to do through his bride and through his body. Why are we better together? Because we are unified in the gospel. So you got purpose, you got power, and then more quickly, notice with me a third spiritual reality the Bible lays out when we are together rather than separated, and this one will blow you away, and that is presence. Presence. Again, I want you to look at how Jesus put this to us in no bones language. I mean, just laying it out for us. Look at Matthew 18, verse 20. He says, for where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. So again, there's a presence of Jesus when we gather together and are together in his name, which means we are unified. You know, it's fascinating. I hope you all know, I, th I think you're an intelligent crowd and you can pick this up, but this isn't about a, a math lesson here. Do you all understand that? He's not focusing on two or three. Some people go, well, is it two or is it three? You gotta be kidding me. That is not the issue here. The issue here is not two or three. 
It's more than one. Amen. That's what he's saying. I, I'm amazed how some people focus on that. And I go, it could be two, it could be three, it could be five, it could be 5,000. All Jesus is saying is, is that if you're isolated and alone, if you follow the pattern of the world, then you will never experience my presence like I want you to. Now we ought to wrestle with that as well. Does this passage mean that when we are alone, Jesus is not with us? No, he's promised to be with us even when we're alone. So let this blow you away. What it means is that there is a special presence of Jesus, a palpable presence of Jesus, an experienced presence of Jesus when you and I dare to gather together in unity and don't play the games of the world. And that should encourage you. I hear this every once in a while. I, again, this isn't bragging rights or anything like that because it's all God, but once in a while, a new person will come up to me and say, man, I gotta tell you, I've only been here a couple of weeks, but when I walked onto this campus, when I walked into one of our worship centers, I could just feel the presence of God. I sit there go, oh my gosh, well, it's not us. I guess you can clap at that. We have three people clapping here for those of you who are... No, seriously. I mean, here's the thing about that. It, it, it's gotta be God. Because we're not trying to manufacture any of that. It's just that his presence is experienced when we're together. And it's not even just about corporate worship. I hope you all understand that as well. I mean, the reality is, is that when you gather with another believer at Butterfields and have a spiritual conversation, when you gather in your small group, when you gather in your servant's environment, why do you think we encourage you to do all these things? Because God shows up in those settings he is honored and blessed and pleased with our unity. Again, I keep saying it, we're better together. And then notice with me a fourth spiritual reality. And this one, again, has to blow you away and change your view of unity because he links our, our unity to answered prayer, to answered prayer. Again, Jesus put this in very straightforward language in the verse before the one we just looked at, Matthew 18, 19. He says, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. Again, it's not a math lesson. It's not about two. It's about unity more than one. And he says, if you agree about anything that you ask, God's going to do it for you. Now, we have to be a little bit careful with this passage. Do we all understand what I'm talking about? 1 John 5.14 would add another element to this. It would say that if you ask anything of God according to his will, it will be done for you. So this isn't just about me and my friend Jeff here saying, hey, want to get a new car? Let's agree together and ask God and, and he's bound to give us a new car. That's not how it works because it's probably not God's will, is it, Jeff? No, it's not. Stop whispering to your wife. It's not his will that you have a new car right now. I'm just kidding. It, it, no, I'm not. But anyways, it's, <laughs> that's not how it works. Here's what it is, how it does work, though. This is really cool. And that is that when we get together and we collectively seek his will, when we hit our knees and pray, when we ask God together, what is it you want to do, Lord, in our lives, in my family, in our church, and we collectively seek him, he answers that prayer, helps us discern his will, and then we can lay it out before him. I don't know how you guys think we make decisions as a church around here. And again, I'm not trying to be hyper-spiritual, but that's it right there. Before we do any major initiative here at our church, whether it's hiring a staff person, whether it's starting a new service, whether it's a new ministry, whether it's anything, how to use our money. 
we are on our knees together asking God what he would have us do. And here's a real key. We don't do anything until he answers. So if God doesn't give an answer, there's your answer. And what's the answer? Wait. (laughs) And many of us tend to move ahead of God. You don't want to do that. And again, that's the beauty of being collective about it, is that if somebody's saying, well, I think we need to do this. Well, we haven't heard God yet together. So let's not do that because we've seen a lot of train wrecks happen that way. And so much of our elder meetings and our staff times are about laying out before God what he would have us do and collectively seeking his will. And when we do that, there's unity in that. And I'm telling you, answer prayer. So are you starting to get the idea? We are always better together. Our purpose, our power, his presence, our answered prayer is all linked to this idea of togetherness and even our ability to endure and make it in the long haul, some of you are there right now, is linked to our unity. Look at Romans chapter 15, uh, verse five. It says, now may the God who gives perseverance And encouragement grants you to be, here it is, of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. Now, just linked together here, I put it in yellow, the idea of perseverance from God and being of the same mind with one another. Simply put, our ability to sustain ourselves in a culture that is not always friendly to our faith hinges on us being better together. That's really important. You know, again, going back to the Northridge merger, I, uh, this probably hit me last spring when we were in the throes of discussing whether this merger could work and we were asking all the questions of, you know, would we be better together and why and what have you and all that. And, and at one point, I don't mean to be a downer, but it, it, just go with me on this, gang. At one point, the thought hit me, you know, um, I don't think culture around us is getting better and more friendly to things of faith. Would that be a safe assumption, yes or no? Yes. And by the way, I didn't see that one coming. I got saved in 1981, you know, the area of Reagan and all that other stuff. And, you know, there was a, a real push to get uh, faith involved in politics and the media and Hollywood and things were looking up. In fact, one guy said it was kind of a revival there in the late 80s. And so, you know, now it's 2000, then 18, and th- things are not looking like they're getting better anytime soon, at least as far as Christians in a strange world. And so as I was thinking that thought, you know, I thought of my kids. My kids are millennials. This year they'll turn 29, 27, and 25. And I thought, you know, we're going to hand this thing off to them in a decade or so, maybe sooner. And, uh, and, and I thought, you know, this is going to be a tough road for them. It's not going to be easier in 10 years than it is now to stand tall for Jesus in this culture. Here's my point. I thought, well, then it makes sense for us to find strength in a merger with Northridge and continue to strengthen Cactus and look to find other opportunities because the stronger we can be in this metropolitan area, the more together we can be. Some of you are shaking your heads. I hope you do, amen, because it hit me. The better it will be for our children, amen. We're gonna be able to hand them off something someday in which we can say, and I hope we can say this, don't mess this up. (laughs) We've worked hard to create some unity here and some togetherness across this city. And that's precious and it's powerful in our ability to endure in a culture in which we have no idea where it's going. 
So add it all up right now, guys. We're going to accelerate at this point. You got purpose, you got power, you got presence, you got prayer, you got perseverance, all screaming that we are better together. Now, the question I want us to wrestle with over the next 10 minutes or so as we wrap up our time together is why is all of this important and why did we choose to unveil this idea now? And so at this point, I want you to pull out your brochure, and, and, and I want to walk you through a couple of things in here. Now, before I do, I got to give a very, very important caveat. So do not tune me out right now. This is really important, especially if you're new here to Scottsdale Bible. If this is your first visit, I, I met a visitor here already this morning, or if you're relatively new to Scottsdale Bible and you've not yet discerned whether or not this will be your, your spiritual home, then what I'm going to talk about in a minute here about resource our vision is not for you. That's really important for you to know. Uh, Many churches talk about money way too much. We do not. In fact, if you've been here at Scottsdale Bible Church, you know that the only time we ever talk about resources is like once a year in December when we mention year-end giving. That's about it. And then at special times, when we were doing something special as a church, we might talk about it. I'm going to spend a few minutes talking about it right now. But if you're visiting with us, what I just talked to you about, being better together, the church unity, that's my gift to you. Uh, the rest of this, just see what God's doing at this church, but, but don't feel pressure at all with what I'm going to talk about. The rest of you, the pressure's coming right now. Now, here, about a year ago, you know I love you, uh, about a year ago, um, Something happened that took us off guard. I'm telling you, this merger thing was bigger than most of you would know. A lot of you here at Shea was like, oh yeah, we're merging with the church. That sounds nice. Oh my gosh, you have no idea. I mean, here we have a huge church in North Scottsdale, 32 acres, 800 people strong in attendance, a 25-year record. We planned them 25 years ago. And Mike, their senior pastor, was looking to retire. And one of their options was, would we be able to merge with Scottsdale Bible and become one of their campuses? And to make a very long story short, I just, I mean, from early on, I just didn't think it was going to work. I'm a realist, I'm not a pessimist, I'm not an optimist, I, and I just thought, you know, if I was a betting man, I kept using this illustration, you'll love this, I, I kept telling our staff, you know, this is like the Cleveland Browns in a football game right now, and, and, and the Browns have the ball on their own five-yard line, they got to go 95 yards, and the chances of that aren't very strong, and so I just kept using that, but, but God is so good because all through last spring and into the summer, he kept advancing the ball. And by about summer, I realized the Browns are going to score a touchdown. In that analogy, we're the Browns. Okay, so. Uh, and, 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 uh, and, and, and sure enough, we merged with Northridge. They voted in September, and we merged formally on January 12th of this year. We sent hundreds of people up there to join the hundreds that were there. And let's just say that in the last five weeks, it has surpassed any expectation we had. Our church year to year over growth is now up about a thousand people, even with the merger. I mean, that, that aside, I mean, it's incredible what kind of growth and momentum God has given us. We lost a bunch of people here in the worship center and at the venue and, and at Cactus, and God's filling it in already. I mean, all praise to Him. Northridge now has three services Saturday night at five, and then Sunday at nine and 11. And, and so, again, it's just been a wildly successful in many ways. Uh, transformation and and merger, but it caught us off guard. I I mean, we just weren't ready for it. And and then something else happened at the same time that again, it's so good, but it caught us off guard. And that is the Cactus Campus exploded in their growth. I see Kay here today from Cactus Campus. 
I mean, Cactus has been our fastest growing venue and campus this last year, hands down. We had to go to a Saturday night service to handle the growth there. And you guys are going to love this. We're starting a fourth service here in a few weeks, a Spanish service at Cactus Campus. And we've hired our first Spanish pastor at Cactus Campus. And, and again, we just, we didn't see any of that coming. It's God. I said earlier, God's on the move and we're playing catch up. Now, because of all of that, here's the need that we have. And that is that, 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 that we learned years ago that when we do things like this, we need to have a similar DNA, a similar experience at our other venues and campuses. Otherwise, in the long haul, it will not sustain Multi-site development means that you need to have a multi-site experience. And so there's a lot of resources that we realize we need to pour into Northridge and Cactus in order for that to sustain itself in the long haul. That's what this brochure is about. Just very briefly, open up to page five. You can read it all later, but on page five, you'll see what we are doing right now at Northridge and what we need to do. The entire worship center needs to be revamped. And we're actually in the process of doing that right now. You'll see that in a minute. The Discovery Kids program needs to come in line or be a part of how Shea Campus and Cactus Campus do their kids program. Uh, they have a mortgage that they brought into this. And when we merge with them, the mortgage company essentially said, you got to pay up. <laughs> and so, and we don't borrow money as you'll hear in a minute, or we don't like to. So we're going to pay off that mortgage. It's relatively small given our size, but it's still a mortgage. Uh, we have a cafe and resource center planned to go in at Northridge again, because it's what people are used to here at Shea. We had to expand the parking lot, increase security, and do a lot with things like signage. So all of that takes resources. And then flip the page and, and, and notice what we're doing at Cactus on page seven there. And that is that Cactus, because of their phenomenal growth, you're going to hear this in a minute, is so overwhelmed with kids and teens and other things that we essentially what we're saying here at Cactus is that we need to build a family life center there for children, students, multi-purpose space, because as you'll hear in a second, they are absolutely out of space. And the price tag for all of this comes in at about $7.3 million, which again, for our size church is a very manageable number, but historically that would have taken a capital campaign and we're not going to do that. And you'll hear why in just a second. Before we do that, let me give you a visual of what is needed. Let's hear from two of our pastors, Pastor Kevin and Pastor Rick, and then I'll wrap up our time together with what I need for you. So look up here on the screen. Hi, I'm Kevin Ewell, campus pastor of our newest multi-site, SPC Northridge, located on 64th Street and Dynamite. We've been welcoming over a thousand adults to our services each and every weekend, and it's been awesome to see the people from Shea, as well as those that have called Northridge home for a long time, form one body and community together. And we're really excited to see what God's going to do as we have the opportunity to reach the North Valley, both in North Scottsdale and in Cave Creek. We were really blessed to be able to inherit a beautiful campus already. And now we're just coming in and making a few enhancements and improvements to help better the experience for everyone who comes. Inside the worship center, we've updated the space with new carpet and paint, new chairs and new sound booth. And the biggest addition is the audio, lighting and video enhancements to bring you live teaching from Pastor Jamie on a life-size center screen. We have three services each weekend at Northridge, just like at our other campuses, including a Saturday night service at 5 p.m. and two Sunday services at 9 and 11. 
We've also renovated our lobby area, adding new TVs, a brand new welcome center, as well as some new furnishings. And we're looking forward to our new cafe coming later this year. All the student ministry areas are also being refreshed and updated. The high school room will have a cool new garage door entrance, as well as a new welcome center, sound booth, snack bar, gaming stations, and great new lighting and audio. We want this to be a fun environment that will inspire students to invite their friends to church. One of the biggest updates you'll see on campus is the brand new entrance for the Discovery Kids building. This will be the gateway of our kids' classrooms, offering enhanced security, quick check-in for returning families, and a place for new families to meet friendly faces who will walk them through registering their kids. As you enter the Discovery Kids area, you'll see the new, larger playground area that will make your kids want to come back each and every week. All of our Discovery Kids classrooms will have enhanced lockdown security and video monitoring, offering safe and friendly environments, which is standard at all SBC campuses. With all of these enhancements, plus many more, you'll quickly see that SBC Northridge provides a very similar experience that you get at any one of our other campuses. We're so excited to see what God's going to do as we get out there and reach our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hi there, my name's Rick Holman, and I'm the pastor at Scottsdale Bible Church, the Cactus Campus, located just about a half a mile west of the 51 and Cactus Road. We just celebrated in the fall of 2018 our sixth year anniversary, and little did we know what God had in store for this church on Cactus Road. Being a community church, we saw the, the, the need to be a part of this community, and as a result, we have been absolutely amazed at what God has done in our midst. With all this growth, we've experienced a little bit of a capacity problem here. We fully utilize the Family Life Building currently from our men's ministry, women's ministry, couples and kids. And then on the weekend, of course, this is our Discovery Kids uh, Kids Zone. And what's interesting about our classrooms, again, not anticipating what was going to happen here, we built every room to the exact same specifications. The maximum number of kids that can go in each room is about 12 to 15, depending on how big they are. And on any given Sunday, we could have 20 to 25 children in one of these rooms, which causes a little bit of chaos of having to combine rooms. Uh, but some of our bigger issues over here is we, we really have no water inside this building, and so washing our hands or bathrooms require us to take children out of this area. But you also see that we have some garage doors that have windows in them, and this also serves the area in which we serve food from, our coffee stations, and really it gets overly used. And so on a typical Sunday, this is a very busy area that's very highly congested. The third building on our campus is a building we affectionately call the bunker. If you look a little bit closer, it's really a double wide trailer. And believe me, we've done our best to put some lipstick on it as far as redoing the roof and the floor and paint and carpet. Um, but it's become a building that really serves as our home for our youth ministries. Some of the planned enhancements for the campus is a dedicated two-story building that's going to serve our children as well as our youth. What's special about that is it'll be a place where they have indoor plumbing as well as a place in which they don't have to share with the other ministries that are going on through the week and through the weekend. There's also a little spot in there for a cafe as well as a resource center and even dedicated office space so that we can meet with people a little bit more privately than we currently do. We're excited about these and other plan enhancements to our campus that will help bring it up to the SBC standards and create a welcoming, safe, and effective place to serve the people who we know God is bringing to us.
as you prayerfully consider what your financial role is going to be in this Better Together campaign, I want you to be reminded of the call that the Lord has placed on our lives to go out there and win people for Christ, to build them up and to send them out and know that you're making a difference in this community. I want all of us to understand that this is more than just a financial gift. This is an investment in the kingdom of God. We have the opportunity through all of our SBC campuses to reach a hurting, dying world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to thank you in advance for your partnership and what God is doing in and through the ministries here at Scottsdale Bible Church. Amen. Amen. Yeah, you can clap at that. So, so let me just make a couple of comments and then I'm, I'm going to pray for us as we wrap up here. You know, um, we are all in this together. That's been the whole point of today. I can remember when we were doing the major refurbishment here at our Shea campus, our massive Compelled by Grace thing. You know, somebody asked me, well, what's our Cactus campus going to do? And I said, they're going to participate. <laughs> Why? Because they're just as much a part of us as Shea is. We've never seen it as, you know, different congregations. We're together as one church. And Cactus Campus gave generously, uh, the people at Cactus Campus, to our Compelled by Grace campaign that, quite frankly, didn't benefit them much at all. And simply what we're saying today is now it's their turn. Now it's Northridge's turn. And, and we all need to be a part of this together. Second thing I want to say is that, you know, technically speaking, if you have something of this size, what we would normally do is a full-blown capital campaign. That's what I meant earlier, gang, when I said this all took us by surprise. God is on the move. This merger accelerated fast. Cactus has grown fast. And quite frankly, it was my decision to say to the staff and the elders, I'm not doing a full-blown capital campaign right now. I don't want to distract us from what we're doing. We're doing great series right now. We start uh, in two weeks a series out of John 16, and I, I want to keep us focused on the spiritual ball. And so here's been our plan, and you're going to be really encouraged by this. We're talking about it here today. We're going to give you a week to pray about it and ask God what he would have you do. We're going to uh, collect some pledge cards next week, hopefully for many of you participating, and then we're going to move on, and, and, and we're going to see what God does. We have some cash reserves, not as much as anybody would think, maybe three, four months. We're using that now for some of the projects we've already started on, because we have to do them. But we don't want to borrow. We don't have a history of borrowing as a church. And so we always bring things like that before you to say, here's the need, and God always seems to provide. Now, let me encourage the socks off of you. This is going to be really good for you. Uh, when you look at a number like 7.3 million, that's obviously daunting, even for a very large church like ours. And so what we did is in the months of December and January, we met with some of what I would call our financial leaders of the church, people who have been very generous to our church historically, and we laid this out before them. And we said it would be really encouraging to the 3,500 families, let me repeat that, 3,500 families that give regularly to this church, it would be really encouraging to them if we could see what you guys would be willing to give or pledge to help us get started. It blew me away. As of last night, well, before last night, as I came in last night, our 50 families that are kind of the leadership families financially have given 45% of our need already toward the 7.3 million. Amen. Amen. And again, 
you, you got to say only God, only God. So our need is about $4 million really from uh, the rest of us uh, as we prayerfully consider what God would have us do. And it's very doable, but we do need you. Don't let that, what I just said, distract you from the fact we need you and we need all of us to pray about God, what God would have us do. So that's all I'm asking you to do is that there's a, a little pledge card in there. I would ask you to go home, uh, lay this on your desk or wherever you pray and just ask God what he would have you do. That's all I've ever asked from you. And then next week when you come here and at our other four campuses and venues, uh, we're going to give you an opportunity in the service next week, just an opportunity in service to uh, give your pledge and we'll see where God has us. Uh, you know, I got to tell you, uh, God has never failed to provide for his church. So I have full confidence in him through you. He's doing some amazing things in his church here. And I hope you are deeply, deeply encouraged because one last time, we're all in this together because we're better together. Let's pray. Father, I uh, thank you for uh, what you're doing on this earth, around the world, uh, through your church and in this local expression that we call Scottsdale Bible. I thank you, God, that you uh, surprised us with joy about a year ago in our discussions with Northridge and led us to the merger that we've had. I thank you for the amazing growth we've seen at Cactus and the sustained growth we've had here at Shea. And God, we don't know what the future holds, but we're hanging on for dear life as we follow you. And God, I pray that as we uh, all go home now and pray for what you would have us do, that Lord, as I've always prayed, just speak to us and we'll follow. And Lord, help us to all do our part to see your church strong and prepared for the days and years and months to come. And I pray these things in Jesus' name with all glory to you. And we all say together, amen.